You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Effie, welcome on to the Australian Finance Podcast today. It is wonderful to have you back on the show. And hopefully listeners have already tuned into our first episode with you a few months ago. And it is wonderful to have you back. So thanks for coming on this very hot day. Hello, hello, Kate. Yes, it is hot. And look, thanks for having me back again so soon. I've really enjoyed our last chat. And it's just us two, just the girls today. So um, I'm really excited (laughs) about that. And yes, it is hot. I'm not quite sure who's listening or where they are and so on. But it is hot, hot, hot. That's for sure. I'm hoping you're going to give me some tips for reducing my electricity bill because the aircon is definitely <laughs> running. The fan is running. I've got the lights on. Oh, haven't we all? I, I know if you've been on the the east coast, the uh, yeah, the the aircon has certainly been doing a workout. And I'll be honest with you, Kate. I know that you'll probably heard me on if you watch the Today Show. I hope you do. I know the money segments are great to watch, apparently. <laughs> but you know, one of the tips I always have there is that you know what. What's the ideal temperature you should have for, for your aircon? It's definitely not 21 that I've had it on. I shouldn't be doing that. But it has been so hot. And look, I guess all these little things, I know we were just talking before off air that, um, you know, what are the little things that uh, people are thinking about now? What's people? What, what's keeping Aussies up at night? And it's pleasing to know that when it comes to kind of money matters, what I call that bread and butter stuff, it, People never tire of it. They never get old of it. And it's something that needs to be revisited all the time. And like little things like, you know, how do I save my energy bills? What are your money hacks and so on? That's what most of us want to get a control of. And when things go really crazy, when your life is turned upside down financially, it's quite surprising how you resort back to those basic things, whether it's something it's because we can control it or it's simple, but that seems to be the first port of call where people are at. And putting on, say, my CanStar hat, there is a report that they put out each year called the Consumer Pulse Report that actually asks Aussies, you know, a whole number of questions. But the one I really like is what's their kind of top money ways? What's keeping them up this year? And I guess most of us probably know what's keeping ourselves up. I mean, I'll ask you, Kate, what's your biggest money way? What do you think made the list? (laughs) The one I feel the most when I'm looking at my bank statements now and doing a, a review at the end of the month is the grocery bill. That feels like it's increased the most of all of the bills. 
You actually had a look at this report, didn't you? No, no, I haven't read it. No, grocery came number one, yeah. So grocery, usually their findings show uh, energy bills come in at number one. But for this report, now it is putting food on the table. That is the number one money woe that consumers have. Then rent, and, and rightly so, it is crazy what's happening. I don't know in Melbourne, but in Sydney here, We've um, had cases of people's rent jumping up like 50, 60% easily. And there's a real rental crisis happening. Electricity came in number uh, three, then mortgage, then petrol, then house prices. And it's probably no surprise that this whole list really has a whole lot of, you know, inflationary pressure to it. So inflation really is our, our primary concern this year. It's not just, um, you know, Philip Lowe worrying about it, obviously. It's household budgets that how do I rein it all in? So yeah, groceries came in at number one. I'm definitely feeling that at the moment. So I, I actually went to the farmer's market on the weekend in an attempt to find out if that was cheaper. And for fresh veggies, it did seem to be every everything at one of the organic fruit and veg stores was one, two or three dollars for a for an item or a bunch of items. So I did did come away a bit cheaper, but it didn't solve all of the groceries. <laughs> Look, it's a slow chip. I mean, when you think about what most people spend per year, I think it's around, what, the 10000 odd dollars. I don't know about you, but I've got a family of four. One's kind of in and out. She's at uni. She's in Canberra. But we spend a lot of money on food. I've got a 17-year-old boy that, you know, just doesn't stop eating. So for us, it's like chipping away each week. We we do shop weekly because of our schedules. We're so busy. But I'll tell you what, if you don't plan now, you really are going to be rewarded when it comes to grocery shopping. And there are still big savings to be made. I do quite a lot of these stories for today's show, and I actually do spend a lot of time in supermarkets with, you know, with my camera there taking pictures. I'm surprised I'm never thrown out because, you know, <laughs> I've, I've done things like, you know, I've put things to the challenge. Is it really cheaper to go shopping at 5pm or 9pm? I've been trawling these supermarkets, going to Aldi, Coles and Woolworths and just having a look at do, do things actually get marked down at 9pm? What happens there with savings? You'd be surprised just how much you can save shopping towards the end of the day. It's typical things like, you know, your uh, your bakery, your bread. Chicken policy for Coles was interesting, the uh, bachelor handbag as it's called. That's the uh, the term used for a chicken in a bag. I didn't know if you, oh, <laughs> if you know. I've never heard that before. It must be a generation thing, eh? <laughs> it's, it's called a bachelor handbag in our household or a bachelorette handbag. They actually have a policy whereby I think they can only leave it in that uh, Bay Marit, that heating um, uh, tool for about four hours and then they discount it. So, yeah, there were savings there. There were definitely savings. I've compared buying frozen versus fresh absolute savings there. But I'll tell you what, I think the biggest way to save and what we do is basically download discounted e-gift cards. So if you look at your like your telcos, your health insurance, if you do have those, you'd be mad not to be using the member benefits. So if you go on to a health insurance uh, website, you'll find that there are discounted grocery cards on there. Not all the time. So the 4% is quite common for Coles or Woolworths. You normally have a limit of buying a 500 gift card. I mean, if you can find these and you do have that cash, it's a no-brainer. Buy it at that discount, then use it later to shop. The other thing is, you know, looking at memberships as they work, a lot of people didn't realise it. Let's say you're a big fan of Woolworths and you should be shopping everywhere, not just at one place. They do have a, a membership program whereby you pay X amount for the year and you get a discount each month that you shop. That could work out in your favour. If you're shopping online, use the filters download the filter and put rank by unit pricing rather than specials. So there are lots of ways you can still save, but it, it, it takes a bit of planning. Yeah, I, I remember listeners writing quite often about the the getting the discounted gift cards, 5 to 10% discount, and I always think it's a good idea and then I never actually do anything about it. <laughs> um, so it's, a, it's a good to get that reminder because I definitely should give it a go if I'm going to that store anyway. Yeah, you should. And it, it, look, they don't make it easy because you're right. You've got to log on. Yes, it's a real hassle. Log on, get it down. But look, even going to, to the movies. So we're planning to go to the movies this weekend. We haven't been for ages. There's no way I'll pay full price. I'm just going to go onto my health fund and get the gold class at up to 40% off. I think they have it. And it's normally automatic. You just got to find out 
if there's a time delay, because obviously if you download it at Saturday and you want to go at Saturday night and you can't get it, that's going to be a bit of a, a deal breaker. But yeah, it's, it's just a bit of planning. That's what it takes. We've talked about groceries a little bit. So <laughs> maybe because I'm hungry. <laughs> yes, groceries are an ongoing struggle for me. But something else that I know I and many of the listeners are dealing with is sort of this era of financial uncertainty at the moment and inflation and all these news articles about recessions and interest rates going up and people not being able to pay their home loan, it can feel a bit scary. And I was wondering what your perspective is. How do you maybe mentally and then strategically approach things when they don't feel that stable? Yeah, look, we're really entering into a period where probably for a lot of us we've never actually seen before. I mean, we've had 10 rate hikes, 10 consecutive rate hikes. And for most new homeowners, they've probably never seen a rate hike. I do remember I was a bank manager. I I did my degree in economics and then landed a job as a graduate trainee. And I started off as a trainee in banking, everything from, you know, processing checks to being a commercial manager. But I'll never forget when I was doing some training as a, a branch manager and lending money. Back then it was at 18, 19%. And I had no, yeah, and that's a, it sounds a lot, but remember, we've got to remember the mortgages were nowhere near what they are now. So the average household, what's probably sitting around 600000 So it was very different. We are certainly paying more than what we were paying back then, you know, mortgages now or, or property prices are nine times our, our salary. So it is, it is really nerve-wracking for for people and even myself because I read this day in day out we've now got economists saying that you know there are going to be three more rate hikes we're nowhere near the peak inflation's got to come down by a lot more I mean we've got the wage data numbers and they weren't as, as strong as we thought but that's not going to hold back still I think another rate hike we've got property prices that are cooling but I think you've got to really put the headlines out. You've got to try and get the noise out because it can actually consume you quite a lot. And, and the financial stress is is a big deal. It's real. And I think whilst I'm not saying to put your head in the sand, I think it's important to um, listen to what's happening, but more importantly, take a step back and, and look at your own situation and just say, okay, where am I? Where do I stand all here? How can I move forward if this is going to happen? Or if you are in financial stress now, what do I need to do? We've got to remember at the end of the day, we are talking just about money here. It's the livelihoods, of course, it's really important. But I've seen people put themselves into so much financial stress that once it affects their health and their families and their relationship, you don't want to get to that stage. The beauty about money is that normally there is a solution. It may not be a solution you want to hear. It may be a situation that, unfortunately, for some people, you may have to you may have to sell up before the bank sells up. That may have to happen. Maybe you need to put your loan repayments on pause. Maybe. Maybe you need to put your hand up and say, I'm in financial hardship. But you have to kind of put this in place to, to move forward. So I guess what I'm saying is, as we continue to go move through this year, understand that, yeah, there'll probably be more rate hikes. If you do have a mortgage, a lot of us may be at a point now where I can't afford to make the next repayment in this case. If that is the case, well, then what are your options? Do you increase your term that will reduce your repayments? Do you go interest only? I mean, all these are Band-Aid solutions, Kate, because they do cost you more in the end. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, have those discussions with your lender. Have those discussions if you have to call the National Debt Helpline. There are people there to, to help you and there are strategies in, in place. So hopefully it doesn't get to that worst situation where your financial health suffers completely. And this is one of those scenarios where being proactive is really important. And the earlier you seek seek help or you find a strategy to pay your bills or reduce some of your living costs, the better you're going to be in the long term. Yeah, look, if you, yeah, absolutely. If there was a set kind of structure, most homeowners, I mean, I've been speaking to the four banks quite regularly because this is something I do report on the Today Show quite a lot. Most, the big four are basically saying most homeowners are in a good situation. The ones that are really going to be suffering at the moment now are those that probably got a property one year ago two years ago. And some of those may be in mortgage prison. So mortgage prison effectively means that you have 
your serviceability, you don't have serviceability, you may not have equity to refinance to a cheaper home loan. So you're basically stuck with the lender you've got. There's not going to be too many of those, but there will be. And even when I was speaking to the banks of that, you know, no one wants to be stuck with a home loan that's not competitive. So what are your options? Chances are that lender does have a cheaper home loan product. So you should be able to at least move or refinance internally to that cheaper one. If they don't, then like I said, put your hand up. I'm in financial hardship. They have to, by law, then put in some strategies in place. It could be like you said, and if you haven't yet done it, do a complete clean sweep of your household bills. That's where you're going to find the most savings. I mean, I have a cancer like a cost of living index where we developed and basically looked at what's the average amount a person pays on the most common bills? How much could they save if they move to the cheapest or at least the best value? And right now, a savings per annum there could be around twelve to $14,000. So there are ways that you can kind of bring some more money back in to put into your home loan. It may be a case, maybe speaking to your accountant, should I actually convert my home loan into an investment loan? If you've got parents that are nice enough, maybe go back and live with them if you can handle that and rent out your place. So there are are some options there that you just need to sit down and talk about. Something else that feels a little bit tough at the moment is coming to terms with the fact that you might actually have to reduce some of those savings or investing goals you had or put them on pause for the time being because potentially your income hasn't gone up and you're paying more on your mortgage, your groceries are costing more. There's only so many places you can reduce your spending. And I think it's quite difficult psychologically to deal with like you've put this investment plan in place, you're on on a good thing and suddenly you have to put your goals on pause. How would you maybe suggest dealing with that, like the cyclical side of having to slow down your goals. And and, and you're right because a lot of people, it's it's funny, I I meet a lot of people that have saved and saved so well and they've got this money in an online saver and then they've got this credit card debt or they're still doing buy now, pay later or or they've got some a car loan and they don't want to pay that off because I've saved so much and that money's over there. So there's a lot of emotion invested in that. And let's break that down. Like, I I get that. It's nice to see some money in a savings account because as soon as that goes, you feel like, oh, I've got to start all over again. And chances are you probably won't. It takes you a while. It's only until you start seeing your savings build up that the momentum kicks in, psychologically that is. But obviously, yeah, when you put it down on paper, it makes sense. You know, at best, what are you earning on on an account at the moment? 4.8 could be the best rate you could get. And you've got to jump through hoops to get that. Mind you, that's still way behind inflation as well. Inflation's what, at 7.8, you'll get 4.8, money in the bank's going backwards. Hopefully, if inflation does come down, we may see for the first time money in the bank not going backwards. But look, it is at the moment still. And it's interesting, you mentioned that people are taking money out of their savings account. Yeah, I mean, this report shows that 38% of Aussies said that they dipped in their savings account last year. And it's interesting to note in 2021, the average amount a person would save would be about $671. In 2022, that fell right down to $393. So it's what you were saying. People are starting to say, well, cost of living is getting to me. I've got to, I've actually got to start ripping some of this out of my savings account. And that's okay. I mean, that's what your savings accounts are for. I think if it stops you from racking it up in a a bad form of debt, then that is what your savings accounts are for. I still believe that even in a situation like now, if you can, it's okay to keep your saving goals on ice for a little while, on hold. But for me, I would continue if I can, just prioritise what your savings are. Don't stop it completely. Uh, And I'm a big believer also that, you know, you treat things like a subscription. So if it's investing, you treat it like a subscription. If it's saving, because saving and investing are two very different things. You're saving for a rainy day. Well, there's nothing wrong with you taking that money out for a rainy day. It's a rainy day. Use it. But don't be too hard on yourself because if it's savings for a rainy day, well, it's raining now. But it has been raining for a long time too. So a lot of people have probably getting to the end of their bucket. So I get that. Yeah, and that's the challenge. We we talk a lot about having emergency funds and the importance of having some money put aside in a separate account for those rainy days. But when it's been raining for so long and 
potentially you're at the bottom of your emergency fund, something else has to change, as we were mentioning before. Or Yeah, it does. If it's got to that stage, well, then, you know, it's a bit of a lifestyle change too. You will start noticing that people will be going out less. I don't know about you, but I still see, look, I don't go out that much as it is, but it surprises me that we talk about we're doing it tough, yet Sometimes I can't even get into a restaurant because it's booked out. You go out to cafes and we're all there. I feel after this 10-rate hike or even as a a renter, whether you're renting or or paying a mortgage, both of them have hit record highs. I think we will start cutting back considerably on that disposable kind of income spend and, and pull things in. A lot of us have also become really savvy with the social economy too, going on Airtasker, doing odd jobs, selling things. I mean, even I'm, I'm looking forward to um, selling a lot of my stuff at uh, Kirribilli Markets in Sydney. I, I do that once a year. Uh, it's a nice little income earner coming through. I have a bit of fun, but it's a way to kind of, you know, fatten up your cash flow. So people are getting quite creative on kind of side hustles. I love that too, because so many of the side hustles that our listeners have been writing in about are, are really great because they connect you with your community and they're an extra source of income and they often reduce the amount of waste in the world or just reuse things a bit more, which is fantastic to see. Absolutely. And yeah, when you think about how much we consume and do we all need it all, yeah, it is a great way, the secondhand economy, to to put back into the community and and make some money. When you look at the Gumtree report, which is a secondhand economy report, and basically they say, we've got around, what, 7,000, I think, dollars lying around the house about 20 items that we could all possibly be selling. So, yeah, take a look around and just see what's lying around in your place. I've got a lot of stuff lying around, but I don't want to sell most of it. Too many books. I was about to say, it's got to be your own stuff too. It can't be other people's stuff around the house. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure some people have done that, started a garage sale with somebody else's stuff. (laughs) Probably. But... There's been a few savings tips. So we've talked about groceries and some of the bills. Are there any other really sort of high quality savings hacks you've got right now for us? Yeah, I had to think about some of this. I mean, because you you get, there are so many ways to save and we hear them so often. And if I hear another saving tip about taking less time in the shower, I, I'm not sure oh, what no. I'm going to do <laughs> or, how, you know, share the shower. I'm not quite sure. Look, there are different That's ways. That's a different one. <laughs> That's a, that might be better than less time in the shower personally. Obviously, the grocery cards for me is a big one when you're, you're shopping for food. One that I use quite a bit is actually put my super details into my BPAY system. So, For me, it's all about the convenience. I like to see when I'm banking. I mean, I do work on a a zero budget system. So basically money comes into my account, then it just gets dispersed everywhere into separate accounts. But when I do have some extra money, whatever might be in there, and if I see at the end of a, a pay fortnight that there's something in there, for me, it's just one click away. The super fund is in there like my energy bill. I just click it and move it. For me, that's a no-brainer. I guess for someone at my age and where I am, that adding more to my super still makes a lot of sense. So that's one that I like. The one that the other one, which I, I think I mentioned, is to treat your investments like a subscription. If you start thinking it like that way, there's very little pain. I mean, when you think about all your subscription services that you have, there's um you have no problem meeting your your Netflix, your stands, your, your Spotify. You don't even think about those payments. So if you start setting up your investments like a subscription, I think that's an easier way to, to save. And another one that I actually haven't done, but I do know some people that do this, they basically pay more in their tax. So when it comes tax time, they get a nice surprise in their tax return. So the way they do that basically is we all know that the first 18200 is tax-free. Tax so they actually don't uh, tick that box with their employer. They want to be taxed fully. So when they do their tax return, it's like, oh, wow, I've got more money back. 
And one that um, probably parents will not like me for, but I know one that my daughter is always telling me, do you want to pay off my hectares before the end of June because inflation's going to jump up substantially and it's going to cost a lot more? And I, as I say to my daughter, no, I'm not going to pay off your hectares because it's a, it's, a, it's a huge one, your help hectares, sorry. So with um, help hectares, you know that they're actually not charged indexed, they're, uh, they're interest, they're indexed every year. And if you look at how that's been climbing, I mean, last year, I had a look at what it was indexed at, it was 3.9. The year before, Kate, was only 0.6. Now, we know inflation is going through the roof. I'm guessing that number is going to come somewhere around about five, low fives. It's going to get indexed at that amount. So if you've got the average uni debt, say, at around $23,000 and it gets indexed at five and a half, that number is going to jump to over $1,200. Now, if you've got any generous parents out there that want to pay off that debt, go for it. <laughs> that is very generous. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the size of my hex debt and it's a bit bigger <laughs> than the average balance because I'm, I'm onto my second course. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, no, no. Thank goodness you're not my child. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like you're paying off your child's tax debt either. No, there's another money hack not to pay your kids' tax debt. <laughs> well, I might help out later, but I'm not giving that away. I don't want her to get too comfortable. Well, hopefully she doesn't listen to the podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about subscribing to your investments and sort of putting that on autopilot, which is an idea we've been discussing a bit more on the podcast recently because we launched a, a free automate your money course about different ways you can put your automations on for saving and investing. But I was wondering if there's any other approaches you've done to simplify your financial life and just take some of that admin off your shoulders every month. Well, automation for me works. Simplify my financial life. It's really funny because someone like myself, I mean, I I class myself as a communicator, a, a journalist, a money expert, but I do get kind of carried away with a lot of new products that come out especially with ETFs. So I personally know where my floor is right now. I I think I need to kind of clean out my ETF wardrobe because (laughs) I've been collecting probably a few too many and doubling up. I think I need to streamline my investments a little bit more. Look, the good news is we know that ETFs are, are, you know, great value for money. And we're actually seeing right now a bit of a fee war ha- happening. We had like beta shares just reduce their management fees. I think, was it from 0.7 to 0.4? I mean, it's $4 per annum for 10000 I mean, that is a cheap way to invest. And look, I expect others now may follow too. So this is all great for consumers when it comes to investment choices and the cost of their investments. Um, and obviously they track an index, so the performances are, you know, it's either going to match it or, or blow it. You know, it's not guaranteed, of course, but at, at least it's a very cheap form of investing. My concern for myself is that I've collected a few too many on the way and I'm probably overlapping. So that's something that, uh, yeah, I need to do. Yeah, I remember Owen talked in the past about the collector investor personality, <laughs> the one that just keeps adding to their portfolio until they end up with 30 different companies and ETFs in there and they're not really sure what they own. And the thing with ETFs, as you mentioned, and we covered in our ETF mini series, is you can end up with a lot of overlap if you are buying quite a few. So that's definitely something to (laughs) be aware of. I've got to road test them, Kate. I've got to make sure that they're okay. (laughs) That's what I say. It's probably better on collecting ETFs than collecting shoes. Put it that way. Yeah, not all <laughs> ETFs are created equal, though. There's probably some I wouldn't want in my portfolio long term. <laughs> and are there, how are you thinking about investing this year? Are you are you still just investing as per normal or are you, you reducing a little bit and focusing on other goals? Yeah, look, I think this year for me I would like to ex- um, increase my exposure to international shares a little bit more. But, again, I th- there's going to be plenty of volatility that will be happening this year. So I really just stick to the, the to, to what makes me comfortable. Save little, save often, continue drip feeding into the market. There are definitely, we've got reporting season at the moment, and you can see that with a, a, a lot of companies, I guess the issues that uh, are facing now is basically their margins. I mean, I'm invested quite heavily in banks 
as well. And, and look, there's definitely risks there with, with their net interest margins and will they continue to, to return? Will the dividends be as strong? But again, like I was saying, I'm in it for the long term. So I will continue just um, drip feeding into my investments and, and building it up. And, and also super for me is really important. So I continue, continue that. And this is the the time when it's important to stick hold firm to your beliefs about long-term investing because if you went into it with a long-term point of view, it's when the volatility hits and it feels a bit scary and uncertain that keeping to your original plan is more important than ever. And that's human nature. When you see when you see the markets actually go up, you actually see the flow of funds under management increase. And that's really probably the, the wrong time. When the markets take a real big dive, you see the outflow of, of money coming out of funds as well. We, it, but that's human nature. And we hear it time in, time out, that it's not time in the market, it's time in it, but we just don't do it. And that seems to be, a, it's a natural human behaviour. If you can master that, then I think you are one step ahead of everyone in that regard. I definitely don't pretend to be a trader. I would far rather just make sure I'm in the market, I'm continuing to put money in, I'm benefiting from dollar cost averaging. That way I don't have to try and pick anything. Sometimes I get it high, sometimes I get it low. But in the the long run, that average should be lower and that suits me fine. And something that's helped me is just not even having the brokerage apps on my phone or, or checking in that often. Like I'll check in quarterly and check all my investments are doing what they're supposed to be doing. But having less contact with my portfolio now that my plan's in place has been a fantastic thing for me. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. And the same goes with spending. I mean, a few tips I have is that if you do have a problem with spending, is it because of your you, the, the stimulus that you're getting? Are you on social apps? Are you looking at pin interest? You know, if you can get rid of those or use them less, you probably will find that you're spending less. The same happens with your investment. If you're constantly looking at those prices and that's giving you a heart attack, then don't. I mean, unless you have a need to sell that investment or, of course, if that investment now is turned sour, it's not, you know, it's not, a, uh, there's no value in being in it. There's really no need to be checking on it every day. Yeah, it's it's certainly hard, but you, you'd need to put a little bit of... <laughs> <laughs> it's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, no, um, and even on what you were mentioning about the social purchasing, like unfollowing accounts and unsubscribing from those emails, you still get a few of those ads that follow you around the internet, but anything that's going to make you push you to make an impulse spending decision because you've got the ad and you've got the means to buy it all in the same place, which can be a very dangerous combination. It can. And if you need to put kind of factors in, like one thing that always uh, works for me is that if I'm actually going to purchase something, like do I really need it? Can I hold off on it? Can I get it? Can I borrow it? And also how many hours is that going to take me to actually buy? When you kind of put, you know, a time or you the value of your time with what you're buying, you start thinking about it differently. I know I was doing a, a story around basically the average salary and just uh, of different occupations and how long it takes to buy everyday items. And for, you know, a CEO buying a pair of Nike sneakers is absolutely nothing. At a blink of an eye, they've got them. But a nurse whose, you know, wages can be really low in the sense that as low as 50000 60000 someone who needs great shoes often have to work a whole day to get a pair of shoes. So, I mean, these are necessities, but when you start putting that process on, you know, how long would it take me to, to pay it off, you start kind of understanding that, hey, my time is valuable. Is this the way I want to spend it? It's interesting because when I'm working a part-time job in high school and you know exactly how much your hourly wage is, it's quite easy to go, okay, that lunch with my friends was multiple hours of my time at this uh, fast food joint. Is that worth it? But then now when you're just on a nine to five package salary, you don't often know what that hourly amount is. So it can be easy to sort of lose proportion of that. Do you know there's actually little apps that you can download that uh, sit on the uh, internet that actually do it for you? You put your salary in there and then just before you click to buy something, it will tell you, Kate, that's going to take you two and a half days to pay off. So it's <laughs> Yes, yes, really. So I don't know if you want that or not. But also I think as we yeah. get older too, you probably don't want to work out your hourly rate because as you get older, we just do so much overtime. <laughs> you don't want to actually work out what you're really working for. 
Yeah, yeah, I can imagine buying a, an expensive flight and it's like this was multiple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it makes, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's probably good to think of it that way and sometimes not. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, exactly. Yeah, whichever way works for you. <laughs> Effie, another area that's really been interesting me over the last year is thinking about financial decisions and the way we do that. And I was wondering if you had a maybe a more challenging financial decision you've made in the past, whether long time ago or recent, that you wanted to share and maybe some of the inputs that went into that decision, your thought process, or maybe you didn't have one back then and what the outcome was and how you think about financial decision making. Yeah, so what in, in everyday life, in investing or just all, all general because there are so many kind of decisions you've got to make. Do, you, do I spend this money? Do I invest this money? We're talking about time versus money, supporting my kids or spoiling my kids. I'm faced with decisions all the time. So, and, and some of them were smart decisions. Others haven't been. If um, I think probably my, my biggest regret was not acting on what was common sense and what the financials would show and fear jumped in more. Sometimes to me, fear of investing still happens. And there was a situation where I should have actually invested in that, in this certain stock. I won't tell, I won't go straight into specifics, but I didn't. And that was a bad decision because I had done the, some, I did everything right. I looked at the financials. I looked at where the company stacked up. I look at what the, you know, you tick all the boxes, what the market's doing, has its competitors, what its results shows and so on, and still didn't do it. And it was, uh, it was, it was the wrong call because of fear of jumping in. And I, I remember you talked about the fear of jumping in, what Fojo last time, and it really stuck with me because we often get stuck in that planning and learning zone. and. We really encourage financial education on this podcast and learning as much as possible and making a plan before investing. But sometimes you've learned most of what you need and then you get stuck in this zone trying to perfect the plan and to learn every single possible thing. And this, you could be stuck in this zone for years. And I don't know if you've got any strategies, but if someone has learned the basics of whatever they're trying to learn, maybe it's about investing in ETFs, they've got a plan, they feel somewhat comfortable, but they're just like, I think I need to know that little bit more before I get started. What would you say to them? Yeah, look, I think if you can get your your kind of ducks lined up and everything else. So if you do have your, uh, your, your cash cushion, you've got a bit of money there for a rainy day, so to speak. And it doesn't have to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. It doesn't have to be six months worth of salary. There's just some money there. You've done that. You've ticked all your other boxes and now you want to actually start investing. If you give yourself a budget for that, let's say it's $1,000, an earmark it for that, then really there should be nothing stopping you from going in there. I think something like ETFs, there's so much good information out there. And for a small amount like that, that you can virtually get on the, the government's Money Smart website, get onto it. There are so many good websites there to teach you about ETFs. And then basically jump in it and then be prepared to know that, okay, I may not make money or I may make money, but this is what I'm learning through this experience. If it is a case of jumping in with a, a buddy as well, a financial buddy to talk about it, go through it that way. If you are obviously investing more than $1,000, there's nothing wrong with getting help. There's nothing wrong with actually maybe a financial advisor, maybe a, a stockbroker and chatting with people. Even doing something like if you're still not sure and you want to go directly, I found the ASX share market game a great way to get in there. And if you're worried about your own money, well, this is virtual money. So it's a great way to start. But I, I think what you've got to understand that if you do nothing, if that $1,000 just sits in the bank, like I just said to you before, the top paying rate is at 48 that's going backwards. So you might as well try investing and learn and take the time to get through it. It's interesting to frame it that way, whereas the not taking action is a decision in itself and your money in the bank account is going backwards because that might, I don't know if that would help encourage anyone that, okay, you've learned what you can, it's time to jump in. You might be 70% ready, but you can give it a go. And you start with a small amount of money. You do not put your life savings in there. It's always really tough when I read those stories in the news where someone's invested for the very first time but put everything in one thing. 
not often an ETF. It's usually a company in these stories and then lost lost it all because they kind of jumped in when they didn't really know what they were doing. But if you're starting with something simpler, you've done some of the background knowledge and you have a plan, then it's it's good to just get started with a small amount of money. And if you make a mistake, it's not a huge amount to make a mistake with. And it's not. And it's hard to make a mistake if you are going to diversify through an exchange traded fund. It's very different if you said to someone now, go put $1,000 and go buy buy some shares. Well, A, you won't buy, be able to buy a lot. B, you'll be thinking, oh, my goodness, where do I start? And you can still start that way. I mean, you start in the area that interests you. Maybe you, maybe you love going to, you know, um, JB Hi-Fi. Okay, is everyone loving JB Hi-Fi? You know, is this a stock worth buying? What's the economy going like? You know, we're probably going to be pulling back on things like that. Maybe not such a good one to go into. But there's some common sense there. But, again, it is just one stock. $1,000 is not going to get you a lot. You can't really make too much of a mistake by looking at, okay, so who are some major players in the exchange traded fund? Do I want to just get into Aussie equities? Okay, so what, what are some of the biggest ones? How, you know, what are the fees? What What's that? And then just going into it. The big thing is working backwards, and I always work backwards. If I don't do this, well, what is the bigger ramification? And I apply that basically on everything I do. If I don't salary sacrifice or if I don't add more into my super, if I don't add it into my bills account as a B pay, um, at my age where I'm going, what does that mean? I'm going to be short this amount or I'm not going to reach my goal to that amount. For me, that's enough reason to act. If I put my money in a, a bank versus uh, buying the bank. This is another story that I was looking at. And this is the logic I had when I first started investing. Um, I thought, well, money in the bank's not paying much. Should I just buy the shares in the bank? And it started that way. I had a look at the numbers on that. If you basically had some cash and, you know, you um, bought the shares in the bank versus putting your money in the bank account, you would have been so much better off buying the shares. I'm not saying that's going to happen in the future. I mean, past performance is definitely no indication of future performance. But you've got to understand if I do nothing, well, what's the ramifications on that? Is that worse than doing something? And I'm, I'm presuming that study was over a 20 or 30-year time horizon? For which, sorry? When you were comparing the banks versus... Oh, no, that was just no, no, that was just the last 12 months. In the last oh, okay, months, right. Yeah, in the last 12 months, if I put money in the bank, would I have been better off buying the bank or putting money in the bank? And in all cases, actually, in all cases except ANZ, you would have been better off <laughs> buying the bank. That's just an example to just to show that interest rates on bank accounts have been ridiculously low and, you know, your dividends and uh, share price were, you know, okay for that past 12 months. It's not always going to be that. I mean, shares are for the long term. But it just gives you an idea that, you know, just think about what are the ramifications if I just do nothing. It's probably going to cost you more rather than doing something. And often with our finances, the the doing nothing at the start when we haven't put a plan into place and sorted out our super can be quite harmful long term. We might not feel the effect right now, but once we have sorted out our super, we've got a simple investment plan in place, that's now that's the time to start doing nothing. We might have automated our investments. We don't want to be fiddling with it all the time. I find that's quite common with our community and other people I've spoken to is after that first few years, you kind of got the basics down, you've set your plan up, and then you start to think what's next. Yeah, it is putting that plan in place. And hindsight's such a lovely thing because, like, think about 10 years ago, Kate, if you put $50 and automated it 10 years ago, you would have this pot of money right now. You just think, why didn't I do that? Why, why did I not do that? So it's a case of enough of that now. Do it now. Put it in place. And it's just, it's that, it's just such a basic thing. Save little, save often. And you won't even notice you've done it. It's so funny how you quickly adjust to your pay once it, once it comes out automatically. You will not notice $50 a fortnight coming out of your pay. It's just like treating it as a compulsory tax, but in this case, you're <laughs> putting the money forward for your future. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Effie, we've covered quite a lot of ground today, and I know you've just updated your book, uh, what is A Real Girl's Guide to Money, and you've got a lot of new tips. I was wondering if you could give us a quick rundown of what we can expect in the new version. 
Yeah. So the new, so the last time this was published in two thousand nineteen. I can't believe it was so long ago. Pre COVID era. <laughs> Pre COVID, I know. So you, you could tell I had to update quite a bit. And also things change, rules change, superannuation changes. So obviously it's had a good clean out and, and um, has been updated where it needs to be updated with legislation changes, regulations, and you know fees, performance, interest rates and so on are all in there. But there, the biggest change was really additions of other chapters in there. So mindful that cost of living is certainly something that's not going to go away. And I think even hopefully when we get to some type of normality, I think consumers' interests in their everyday finances, their household bills, how to make the most of what pay they get, it is going to be paramount and just continue on. And, and still a lot of us have not mastered really basic things. I get paid fortnightly, but my bills are coming in weekly, monthly, quarterly. How do I manage all that? How What system do I put in place? A little basic things we still haven't managed. But what I have included in this book is um, two new chapters, uh, a bill buster action plan and a money makeover. So basically the bill buster action plan takes you through the whole step and process of how to clean your household bills. So it really is step by step, step one, step two, step three, and it takes you through the whole process of, okay, now you've got to gather information. This is what you're going to be looking for and how to make the call, what to say, and then looking at each household bill and what and how you can save. So there are money hacks on groceries, on petrols, on petrol on cars, on streaming, on energy bills, on your internet and phone. It's just pieces of information that I've accumulated over time and just dumped it all in and given consumers a real, it's 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 just easy to absorb, dot points on money hacks for each of these bills. And then the money makeover is really simple. You just pick whichever one you like, okay? You don't have to follow it in order and you cross it off once you've done it. I love crossing things off and you can use the book to use it and track and see what you're doing. And basically it's one challenge a day if you're happy one challenge a week. I probably wouldn't do one challenge a month. That's been a bit <laughs> a bit lazy. Um, but the idea is that you just flick the book open, tap on each one you want, and actually follow what it says in there. And it could be as simple as, okay, this week, if you've got a credit card this week, you're going to lower your limit by 50%. And you've got to do it. So then when you've done it, you can cross it off. The reason why that's there is that for those of us that have credit cards, it's so hard to get rid of them straight away. Even small steps is better than no steps. By lowering your limit 50%, you're going to stop spending 50%. That's your limit. You've done it. Um, And you can do it online. It's simple to change your limit. And the good thing is with that also is it increases your borrowing power because if you've got a home loan and you're going out to get a, a, a debt, what they'll actually do with credit cards, they've actually increased the serviceability. Credit cards will knock your your application out in the sense that if you've got a $10,000 credit card, it's no longer assessed at 2%. So they used to say 200 per month is what your commitment is. They'll assess it at 3.8. So now they're going to say $380 is what you're paying on your credit card. You may not even have debt on your credit card. You might just have it there for a rainy day, but they're still going to use it as a commitment. So there are things like that. The other one could be, believe it or not, you know, splurge. You've done really well this week. You can actually take your family out or take yourself out and splurge, go to dinner, go to a movie. So you might want to start with that. Then the other one could be like delete an app that's costing you money. I find in a lot of cases, if you look at your phone, it's basically a money trap. Have a look at the apps that are costing you money. Like do you have maybe maybe you've got Uber Eats on there or Uber One. Maybe, maybe you've got some kind of convenience, other convenience apps. Maybe there's too many afterpay apps on there. Delete one. I challenge you to do it. Things like that. Yeah, I can read more for you, but uh, there's uh, basically a tip here to, to, to take you through the year. Sign up to a cashback service. I don't know if you've done that before, but cashback sites, if you're shopping and, you know, these cashback, cashback sites have all different kind of retailers on there, you might as well shop through them and get some money back or the money can go straight into your super fund. Yeah, Effie, that's... Sounds very comprehensive. I'm already just like thinking through everything you're mentioning. I'm going, okay, I've got to do a few a few of those <laughs> things. I think there's definitely some apps that are costing me money. But it, it definitely sounds comprehensive. And I think 
the most important thing is to have someone guiding you or something going through this process, especially reducing bills. It can feel pretty overwhelming if you just open your bank account and go, okay, well, what do I tackle first? And sometimes even just having those scripts because those conversations can feel a bit challenging. Yeah, and we all need a bit of a nudge. And for me, it was just a case. How do I make it simple? How do I dare, can I dare say this will be fun? I hope it's fun. I hope you go, yes, oh, <laughs> am, I, am I pushing it, Kate? <laughs> um, I, I just, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, I just wanted to make it simple and ex- for exactly that reason. Where do I start? Oh, don't feel like starting doing anything. Just open the book, pick one and do it. If you can't do it in one day, use it for the week. One tip a week. It's as simple as that. And then once you've crossed it all out, you will have to be in a better situation. I can't see how you couldn't be in a better situation. I hope you're in a better situation. Yeah. Well, Effie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We have covered a lot of different things. We've talked about dealing with financial uncertainty, cutting the cost of your bills, including groceries. So some good tips for me there how we're approaching investing this year, simplifying our financial life. So Effie, some great stuff today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Kate. It's always fun to be on your show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees and 1000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.